Well, we're back again, uh, two weeks in a row. That's a record. We haven't done that in a long time. We are going to be talking about the paranormal, as we do every Saturday night. We have joining us in studio, the, the science advisor, Matt Moniz, is back after being under the weather last week. And, uh, and John Brightman's here as well. And our paranormal news correspondent, Melody Knapp, is here in the studio. So we're going to have all kinds of fun here on episode 984 of Spooky South Coast. And we're going to start it off right now. Spooky South Coast, Jim Weisberg here, along with Asylum Assassin Matt Costa and Science Advisor Matt Moniz. And we have a couple guests in the studio with us as well. We have John Brightman here and we have Melody Knapp as well. And we're going to get into all kinds of paranormal topics. Uh, but we're going to actually start things off by talking to our good friend Jeff Belanger, who will be joining us in just a moment to let us know about the upcoming fundraiser. What's up? Okay. You can just, it's all right. It's cool. I already screwed up the show way more than, than anything else could tonight. This one's all on me. I'm like, let's make some production stuff a half an hour before the show is supposed to start. And oh, by the way, I don't really know what I'm doing. So me saying, hey, let's do some production stuff really meant, Matt, come and save my ass when I screw something up. And I, I apparently did because we cut up the theme song. And The good thing is it's still in there somewhere, though, I think, if we just find a new number for it. So this can be fixed. We, we can fix it, and we will. But joining us on the line right now, we have the one, the only, Jeff Belanger. And I think, you know, Jeff, I don't think you really need an introduction, but uh, I think everybody out there knows by now you are the guy when it comes to all different kinds of weird topics. But one thing I don't think we've ever talked to you about is zombies. <laughs> and it's, it's good to be back on Spooky, Spooky South Coast. It's been a while. It has been I think, a while. I think the last time you were on the show, it was your birthday. <laughs> oh, no. That was at the live broadcast from my backyard? Yes, that was outstanding. Oh, man. Let's never speak of that again. No, it was actually one of our best shows ever. I, I listened to it recently, and I was surprised at how coherent we all were. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> <laughs> we're planning another one of those for this summer, though, and, and in this one we plan on not being coherent at all. Okay. So you'll have to take part in that. <laughs> It'll be like one of those legendary uh, concert footages from some, some band that just can't even get through the first song and they just stumble off stage that's pretty much how we do the show every week so yeah, right. it's really no different makes sense and and so tonight we just have you on for a few moments because we want to talk about this great event that you have coming up next saturday night yes and this is something that if anybody's been following jeff on social media and i hope that you all do at the jeff belanger on twitter and he's on facebook and everywhere and anybody that's been following what you've been doing we have been seeing that you're taking part in this climb for the cure yeah, so I'm going up uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. In fact, uh, two months from today, I'll be returning home, hopefully with uh, all kinds of photos and, and stories of of glory. Um, I, I leave March 17th. We're climbing Mount Kilimanjaro for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society to uh, to raise money to fight blood cancer. And uh, and I'm doing it to honor my brother-in-law, who's uh, that's what makes it a little more personal for me. Uh, he he passed away in December of 2015 from cancer, and I wanted to do something big. And uh, this opportunity just came up. I've worked with Leukemia and Lymphoma Society before as you know amy who goes to a lot of our events um she's the one who wrote me into it and kilimanjaro has been on, on my bucket list for so long and uh and it was just the, the time was right and so i'm just psyched to be doing this been training uh you know training my body doing training hikes getting a lot of gear and uh and getting ready to put myself through something pretty crazy 
And I, I've been following along with your training, and I, and I got to say that you know, first of all, I mean, you're you're a pretty in shape guy to begin with. I mean, you're not you know you're not like most folks in the paranormal. You're, <laughs> you're you're in pretty good shape, but this is a whole different animal to be able to go out and climb Mount Kilimanjaro alone. But even some of these training runs that you've been doing, it must be a completely different amount of fitness than you're used to. Yeah, so I've been a runner for a while, which just kind of keeps me, uh, you know, able to see my own feet. And um, <laughs> so the, the training, though, it's it's climbing, and it's, so it's more about endurance, really. You know, that's what that's what you're up against. Is just you know trying to get up the mountain, trying to get step by step, managing your your you know your calories, the food you need, the the water you need, and all that kind of stuff. And if you have been following on social media, you've seen I've, I've been getting hurt. Right. <laughs> I've got a I had a bruise. I'm still there. It's been over two weeks. This bruise. It first it looked like Sasquatch, uh, and I, I put comparative photos up so people could look. And then I mean this bruise was as bigger than my whole hand, and uh, and then it, and then it started to look like uh, Nosferatu. You know, I, I saw it definitely felt like a devil face in the in the bruising. So, um, and then, and just last week, I got you know all kinds of shots. I got shots for tetanus. I got shots for hepatitis A. I got shots for typhoid. Uh, all kinds of things that I have to get just to go over to Tanzania. So I'm really putting myself through the ringer. But next week, we want to have a zombie prom. And this is going to be something really cool. I know you're going to be there. Uh, I think Stephanie said she's going to be there, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And so I've done no. This will be my fourth zombie prom if we're keeping keeping score. And all the proceeds are going to go to Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. So it's a big paranormal party. You don't have to dress up if you don't want to, but by all means, if you do want to, it's super fun. Uh, it's going to be in Bellingham at a place called Jalapenos, which, if you remember Odd Fests from from years past, mm-hmm. remember remember the old Patriots Cafe. Um, that's the same place, except it's been really gussied up. <laughs> new owners and, and new place, but uh, but they've really fancied it up, and it's just going to be a, a paranormal party, you know? And this is a slow time of year for all of us. It's winter. There's not a lot going on. And so it's an excuse to get together, to have a few drinks, and, and have a few laughs. And I swear we will win the Internet that night with everybody dressed as zombies and photos going everywhere. So if it was actually still Patriots, it could have really been a zombie prom because everybody in the bar side of it would have already been looking like zombies anyway. They, they did. They already looked the part. But those folks uh, have been removed. We got a, we got a DJ. Um, we've got, you know, media sponsors and all this stuff. And I, it's just going to be a great time. And so, you know, here's the thing. If you want to dress like a zombie, just go to the thrift shop. If you spend more than 20 bucks, like, you did it wrong. Right. You know, you just get some old clothes. You rip them up. Uh, there's people there that will do your makeup for you. So you don't, you know, if you want to just get the clothes and show up, that we'll have uh, makeup stations where people will do your makeup. And we'll have picture poses, and we're going to have, you know, auction items for, for raffle to, to raise more money. And not only that, your ticket, it's, it's only 20 bucks if you buy it online. Uh, you buy it directly from the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. It's considered a tax-deductible donation. So you just save your receipt for your taxes this year. Uh, you're all helping a great cause. Uh, Dustin Perry is going to be there from Ghost Hunters. He's going to be, um, you know, doing this thing with me. And, and you know, you're going to be there, and Stephanie's going to be there. Who knows what other special guests may show up. And uh, and I think it's just going to be like just a, a really good time. And also, if you hate Valentine's Day, as so many of us do, this is like the most un-Valentine's Day thing you could possibly do in February. <laughs> Absolutely. Go single. Go with same-sex friends. Bring a date. Bring a spouse. Whatever. Like it's it's all good at, at the zombie prom. And and I have already promised. I promised last week on the show that any any lady that doesn't have anybody to dance with, I will be more than happy 
to find somebody for you to dance with. Oh, that's nice. Because you, you don't want to dance with me. Although no. it's a zombie prom, so if you're dancing like a zombie, I can probably get away with some, some moves that way. You know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's so much fun. The last one I went to was in uh, England. We did one in, in, over in England. And at, at the same time, there was this paranormal conference going on at this beautiful, like, manor house, you know, just gorgeous, like, you know, property and everything. And at the same time as our paranormal event, there was a wedding on the other side of the <laughs> manor house. And around 11 o'clock, the bride and groom come over to the zombie prom. Oh, wow. And they got probably the most memorable wedding photos of, <laughs> I'm guessing, any wedding in England for the last at least 2,000 years, even though photography doesn't even go back more than, you know, not even 200. So I'm just saying they have the most memorable wedding photos in England. There you go. I said it. Well, listen, I know I've seen your zombie photos. I've seen you at photos from the other zombie proms i've seen your you know your cards that you send out so i know that you have a strong zombie game i'm bringing in a ringer i'm going to have john brightman do my makeup because he's got some experience doing this kind of stuff nice and plus it would make me like no matter what you do john it's going to make me look better than i would anyway i I didn't turn on your microphone john i'm terrible like that (laughs) you can only get better that way so, so again, let everybody know where they can get the tickets if they want to buy them in advance. Yep. If you go to ghostvillage.com slash zombie prom, that will actually jump you over to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society because it's one of those addresses that if I said, like, events.lls.org slash tilde, you know, anyway, ghostvillage.com slash zombie prom will bounce you over to Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. If you go to my website or if you go to Ghost Village and look at the events, that will also get you there. Um, you know, we're posting it all over social media. We've got a, an event page uh, on Facebook and so on. And it's just going to be just a really great time and, and a great hangout. You know, we, we didn't do an odd fest uh, last year, and I, I'm kind of thinking, you know, this is our odd fest. Well, and absolutely, I want everybody out there that's listening, you know, share it. If you go to Jeff's Facebook page and his Twitter, he's got the, the banners and the photos. Get it out there. Let's blast it out to everybody all week because it's for a great cause, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's 21 and over. Sorry for the, the young ones out there, but um, but it is a bar. Mom and Dad's night out if, uh, if you've got kids. Um, it's 25 at the door, so save yourself a few bucks and buy it online ahead of time. Uh, or 25 uh, at the door is fine as well. And then we'll have raffles, and we'll just – it's going to be a game, man. You know, when, we, when all of us freaks get together and there's alcohol involved and, oh, yeah. and like, Mexican food and nachos, like, I don't know, how, how bad could it possibly be, you know? <laughs> all right, it should be a great time. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you Saturday night. Let's make sure that we can get as many people. Let's pack the place, fill it up, and raise a lot of money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Thank you very much, guys. I look forward to seeing you next week. All right, stay weird. All right, you too. That is Jeff Belanger. You know him, you love him, and you can see him next Saturday night at the Zombie Prom. Uh, again, as we said, uh, you know, I'll I'll be there. I know Stephanie's going. I don't know if any of you guys are going. I'm assuming yeah. I need you to go, John. Yes. And uh, and and Melody, you said you were going to try and make it. Um, you got to talk. Let me let me teach you a little thing about radio. Okay. See this? It's called the microphone. Oh, it doesn't. Okay. Hello. Can you hear me now? <laughs> that's all right. Mm-hmm. See, you, that's the thing about this is, like, you're here with us for the first time in studio. You've been doing the show for a couple of weeks now, mm-hmm. but this is, is this your first ever radio appearance? It is. Like real radio? It is. All right, then I'll give you the, the little breakdown, just the two-finger rule. You just want to keep yourself, keep yourself two fingers away from the microphone at all times, or else okay. otherwise they won't hear you. Don't be like John was last week when you're like, talk like this. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. And I'm trying to tell him, like, bring the microphone closer, and he thinks I'm trying to call him over for a hug. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's okay. We'll, we'll be good. I think we're going to be fine tonight as we talk about a bunch of different weird topics. Oh. But let's see if I haven't screwed this up yet. So let me, let me just give everybody a little bit, break down the fourth wall a little bit <laughs> of why the, the show is so screwed up. As I said... I said to Matt, let's do something before the start of the show. Let's, let's make something that, you know, I thought about making 
last Saturday and totally forgot about until now. It's not like I'm not here every single day now, but I couldn't figure out how to do it myself. But So I call him in there. He works his magic. He gets it done. You know, doing a, does an amazing job. Boom, boom, boom. And then it comes time to try to put it into the computer. And then what does Tim do? He completely destroys everything. <laughs> that, that, that theme song might be gone forever. I was thinking about it. If we overwrote it, it might be gone forever. No. That's okay. We have, we have backup versions of it. <laughs> and, uh, and, but I want to just take this time really fast, Matt, to put out another plug for the fact that you are collecting music for people that want to have it featured on the show. And it can be... Yeah. Some- yeah, um, if anybody wants to donate some music, um, you can always send us a uh, uh, the YouTube link or um, a SoundCloud link, and then uh, we we play some music for uh, people that are in the chat room before the show. Uh, we also do some bumper music here and there. Maybe if we can't find the theme song, maybe we, we need a new one. I don't know, who knows? But, uh, yeah, you can uh, just shoot it to Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com or send it to us on Facebook or anything. And You know how to get to us. And in doing this, I mean, this is, yeah, it helps us out because it gives us unlicensed music that we can run and not run into any legal troubles and have videos taken down or, you know, have any monetization. Not that we make any money off YouTube but the show, but, you know, we want to be able to make sure we're putting money into the Spooky Crew funds and not into, you know, MCA Universal Records or whatever is fun. You know, so we learned our lesson about that a little bit. Great, great. Podcasting can be a delicate art, so it, it certainly is. So you, you don't you want to piss off as little people as possible. When but, so there's that benefit for us, but at the same time, we're also helping people out there to reach an audience. Right. And we have we have uh, I don't know how many thousands of listeners we have, but like they're 18 all million. They're right all now. very very talented and I just supportive. I just made that number up. <laughs> John Brightman's like whoa. <laughs> like no, I just made that number up. I threw that out. They're they're all super talented and they're they're all. Super supportive, so we want to be super supportive to them as well. So uh, we will absolutely feature you if you want to send us some music, uh, and we appreciate anybody that has. Uh, we do have a call coming in, so let's take that real fast before we go into the Week and Weird segment. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hi. I'm just calling to listen to the show. I'm sorry? I'm just calling to listen in. Oh, I can't keep you on the phone, though, to listen. I, I, I have to keep the lines clear, but if you use the smartphone app, that's a good way to listen in, or you can watch us on YouTube. Oh, okay. How do I watch you on YouTube? Just go to uh, Actually, if you just go to SpookySouthCoast.com, it'll take you right to the YouTube video, or if you go to YouTube and search Spooky South Coast, you'll find our live broadcast, and you can jump in the chat room with everybody there and, and interact in that way while, while the show's going on. Okay, thank you. All right. Have a good night. YouTube away. And that, I suppose I probably should have thrown out the mentions at the beginning of the show, that we are broadcasting both on WBSM and also live on the Spooky South Coast app and on our Spooky South Coast YouTube channel. So that's the, I I mean, Matt, I'd have to say the app is probably the way most people are getting to the show now. I'm hearing a lot of good things about it. If you, whether you have Android or Apple, you can download the app. You can watch the show. You can listen to the show. You can catch past episodes of the show. You can jump on our social media. So that's probably the best way. I'm also using my hands a lot tonight. I'm seeing myself on the video, and I'm, I'm <laughs> I've become Italian here. So uh, the the app is probably the best way to join in but you can always just go to your computer and type in spookysouthcoast.com and find all kinds of ways to do it there as well so 
I don't know why anybody has any excuse now not to be tuning into the show every Saturday night. There's no excuse. I mean, unless, you know, you have a life and you do things on Saturday nights. But <laughs> it's funny because if we had thought about this like 10 years ago, well, 11 years ago now, we just celebrated our anniversary last week. If we had thought about this 11 years ago when we started putting together the show, then maybe we would have said, if we want to talk to the paranormal community, maybe Saturday nights isn't the best night <laughs> because that's when people are out actually doing research. Yeah. But... I like to think that, you know, while they're out there getting ready, they've got Spooky South Coast on in the background. and Oh, I always do. Either that or you can listen on podcast and YouTube later on. All right, so why don't we get weird here? And let me see if I can bring this up without screwing anything up. Oh, no, see, yeah, I did the wrong thing there. Okay. You ready for this, Melody? I am ready. We made you this fantastic introduction <gasps> Yay. that only takes... Uh, it's just going to start off with a couple of seconds, and because I'm glad you're here in person for the first time, because it makes it so much easier to kind of direct you right. as to when to come in with the stories. Gotcha. So this is going to be a little bit of a work in progress, but at least then you'll have an idea for next time. Exactly. This, this, uh, we should have rehearsed this. It wasn't like you guys weren't already here early, but <laughs> we just weren't ready. All right, so let's bring this up. Spooky South Coast presents The Week in Weird with Paranormal News Correspondent Melody Knapp. All right, everyone. So this week in Weird, January 28th, 2017. We're going to start out with a story that was published on the 26th on LiveScience.com, written by Jen Viegas. It was titled, Some Parts of the Body Stay Alive After Death, Evidence Suggests. Is there truly life after death? As a paranormal researcher, this is one of the main questions we strive to determine. And if there is life after death, is it a continuation of consciousness you have during life, or is it some other mysterious dimension our energy releases or moves on to? Although that answer is still yet to come, a recent paper published in the journal Open Biology suggests even after someone is declared dead, life continues in the body. Yes, you heard me right. Senior author Peter Nobel of the University of Washington and Alabama State University stated, Not all cells are dead when an organism dies. Different cell types have different lifespans, generation times, and resilience to extreme stress. In the paper, he goes on to explain they discovered gene expression. When information stored in DNA is converted into instructions for making proteins or other molecules actually increases in some cases after death. So the next time someone tries to argue there is absolutely 100% no life after death, you can turn around and throw some science in their face. Because even if we are still in the process of explaining the energy slash spiritual side of the afterlife, it is now confirmed, at the very least scientifically, that sometimes life does go on after death on a molecular level. Well, that brings to mind the story of, and if, if anybody's familiar with it, but you know, the story of Mercy Brown, where there was still what they felt to be some signs of life when they opened up the holding crypt and, and pulled her out, because there was still some signs of life, and some stuff did kind of go on. Bonies, you're the science guy here. Just kind of assuage my fears here a little bit here. 
even when I'm dead, that's that still might work, right? Actually, there's been a number of cases where uh, morticians have been uh, arrested. Well, for, that's yeah. what I've heard. So the answer is yes, it does happen. That's what I've heard. I'd like to thank. Did you, did you swack the mic? I did. You got to bring it. Everybody's saying they want you to bring it closer. Me? So. Okay. Oh, yeah. ba- basically, this microphone's your boyfriend. For it's like. So just keep coming it right up. close, right up there. Hey, it's baby. just like my boyfriend's. It's running away from me. What's wrong? <laughs> right, right. It, there's actually oh. adjustments you can make, yeah, if you need to. So, yeah. So as long as that still works, I'll be happy. <laughs> God knows I don't use them that much when I'm alive. I'm just getting away with saying whatever I want right here because everybody's worrying about the mics. <laughs> is that better? Is that better, everyone? I think that is. That sounds much better. Wonderful. Okay, so is that? you have any other stories for Oh, I definitely do. Right. And this one is kind of magical. Um, it was published on January 6th of this year um, on MysteriousUniverse.org, and it was written by Jason Offutt. Um, and this one is actually labeled The Butterfly People of Joplin, Missouri. Um, which, if anyone knows, an EF-5 tornado went through Joplin, Missouri back in 2011, May of 2011, and pretty much here it goes. Six years ago, the town of Joplin, Missouri was devastated by an EF-5 tornado that was a mile wide in width, killing 158 people and injuring 1,150 people of the 50,789 people that called Joplin their home. Through the rubble and tragedy emerged reports of something peculiar, witnesses witnessed by countless residents during the horrendous disaster. They all described these entities as butterfly people. Cousins, Lage Grisby and Mason Lillard, were in their grandparents' truck when the tornado hit. The 200-mile-per-hour winds picked the truck up and tossed it more than 300 feet across the parking lot. Grisby was thrown from the vehicle, and Lillard was pinned inside, but both witnessed the same thing. Two butterfly people, one with blonde hair and the other brunette, both with magnificent butterfly wings. One of these figures laid their hand upon Lillard's shoulder, and she described it as an extremely calming sensation. Another report that was recounted in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch paper says a mother was running to shelter with her young daughter when the wind knocked them down. She witnessed the tornado lift a car and hurl it directly towards them. She cradled her daughter, trying to protect her from the impact that never occurred. When she looked up, her daughter said, didn't you see the butterfly people? Her her daughter went on to tell the mother she could see the butterfly entities carrying people through the sky. Stories of these butterfly people poured in. One four-year-old boy claimed two butterfly people held his father's car as the tornado tried to take it away. Another child who was picked up by the wind and thrown six miles into a field told rescuers butterfly people caught him and sat him down safely on the ground. Children from all over the city reported seeing the same thing. People with wings, always described as butterflies, standing and flying over them in the storm, protecting them from the raining debris. The wind picked up and tossed a car with a man and his daughter, but she told him after she wasn't afraid because the butterfly people were sitting in the car next to them and kept them safe. So pretty much this horrible disaster that happened in Joplin, Missouri that killed so many people, also produced this strange phenomenon where 
children all over the city were witnessing not angels. They were seeing people with butterfly wings. You know what it makes me think of? Is it makes me think of the Mothman story. Right. Because there you had, you know, it was kind of a reverse where the Mothman was showing up first and then you had this tragedy with the bridge. But I almost wonder if this is kind of like the same idea of where, you know, after tragedy comes this glimpse into something else, Mm -hmm. this, this opening into something else. I don't know. It's interesting, though, because only children witnessed it. Um, all of the adults or parents that were there when it happened didn't see these butterfly people, but all the children did. Um, and, I mean, they, these these children weren't interacting with each other, right, talking yeah. with each other. They were just, you know, after this horrible tragedy, were like, oh, the butterfly people saved us. The butterfly people, you know, la- laid me gently on the ground when I was thrown six miles but through, through a tornado. So... That's pretty weird to me. Matt, was um, there a butterfly person on the tick? Mothman. Well, moth. I, I know Arthur was a moth, but wasn't there a butterfly character? I know. I want to say there was some superhero team that there was a butterfly character. Hmm. I don't know what I've, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking of. I don't know, but it was, you know, it's not it's not the most badass thing you would think of. Hmm. But I don't know. Oh, the monarch from Venture Brothers. I don't know. I've never seen Venture Brothers. <laughs> You also have the same report of basically what she's describing by uh, astronauts or cosmonauts on the Mir space station. I've seen butterfly people? That's outside the window. They describe them as humans with butterfly wings. Interesting. I did not know that. I've never heard that either. Maybe it's the same same creature. uh, You know what I mean? That's, That's pretty crazy. I've never heard that before. And that we all know how many problems the mere space station has had. <laughs> this is true. All right. Well, is that that, that done for the week in weird for this week? Yeah. I all mean, right. I was just kind of like, I was going to do another article, but I kind of got caught up on these butterfly people. Um, I want to know more. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and what was the name of the, the writer again that you mentioned? Um, it was Jason Ofoot. Oh, yeah. So I know, I mean, I'm, he's been writing on the paranormal for a long time so maybe we can have him on the show and he can talk a little bit more about it yeah yeah because that's one thing that i think that we need to do at least in this year 11 of spooky south coast is you know let's let's not let's not turn our backs on on the weird stuff let's not turn our backs on the fact that there's some of these stories out there that we it's as researchers as investigators we might say to ourselves oh that seems a little bit ridiculous that seems a little bit fantastic but why not go down those rabbit holes? Why not go into that? Because we can. It was it was not too long ago that what we do now, people 10 years, 12 years ago, maybe even just a little longer, were looking at us going, that's ridiculous and crazy. That's true. So true. I mean, if, if you go back and you listen to old episodes of this show, which... <laughs> I don't know if I can recommend it, but you know, some people want to. You know, I'm somebody that when I watch a TV show, I want to see every single episode start from the beginning. So some people do the same thing with this show, and that's a lot of people will come back to me and say, you know, in the older days of the show, you guys were a lot more open to weird topics, and you would kind of talk about anything. And I feel like we've kind of pigeonholed things a little bit in later years. And, and Chris and I always have this discussion about how you know we, we need to kind of take off our own blinders and be willing to take on any weird topic. 
sometimes that leads to some of the best shows. Hey, what what do I always say, Tim? Embrace the weird. Well, embrace your weird. <laughs> well, that's, I'm going to have to start embracing other people's weird. Right. you got to embrace all the really weird. Stories. All but then, the weird. you know, I think... With, I think with Donald Trump as president, you can just walk right up to people and grab their weird now. Oh, right? my God. Is that all right? I'm pretty be sure. careful whose weird you grab. I'm pretty sure it's all, all good now, though. Oh well, we're going to be talking about a bunch of different paranormal topics tonight, and you can join in the discussion by calling 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420 for people that you know still care about whether or not they're paying for a phone call. Does, do people still do that? Is does does anybody still have a, a phone plan where you where long distance makes a difference? I see it occasionally. Maybe, I work in the cell phone industry. Maybe a home phone, but Well listen, working in the newsroom now, I have to call people on the phone to like, you know, set up interviews and, and to interview people over the phone. And I have no idea how to dial numbers anymore. I'm like, I don't know if when I pick this up, do I have to hit one? Do so sometimes I hit one, sometimes I don't. <laughs> And I usually remember enough to dial the you know the area code because I don't even dial numbers anymore. I just find people in my phone and call them. Yep. But what was really weird was when I like, and I still do it, but I pick up the phone and I dial nine, and I don't have to dial nine for an outside number. But mm. I'm like, I'm not used to picking up a handset without having to press nine because the only place I ever use a phone is at work. I don't I don't use one here. I don't use one at home. So. I don't know. Do most people even have home phones? Now? I don't. I got I, rid of mine. I don't either. You'd be surprised. You'd what, be surprised. What's funny about it too is I I have home phone service, like it's part of my yes. package, but oh, I, gosh. Don't, I don't utilize it. No, I don't even have a phone to connect to it. So I'm just sitting there watching TV, and like a call will come in over the <laughs> yes. phone or over the TV, mm-hmm. and my son will look at it and be like, "Dad, you're getting a phone call." I'm like, "Well, it's obviously not important because I've uh-huh. never given that number to anybody." <laughs> So, but there is a new scam going around that I've noticed, and uh, I don't know if you guys have gotten this call, but uh, the, the call comes in and it tells you that uh, somebody is coming to your house then within 48 hours with a uniformed civil servant, and you have to have all your guns locked up, and you have to have all of your animals, large animals, locked up, and everybody who's in the house all has to have a, a photo ID present to show who they are, because when they come into your house, you have to tell them who you are, and they don't say, like, what it's for. Mm. They don't say if it's, you know, to collect a debt. They don't say if it's for anything. They don't even really, they, they give you some, like, BS name of who they are and where they're from, and I know a bunch of people that have been getting this call, and so I just want to tell them, like, well, h- hold on, I've moved, and just give them Moniz's address. <laughs> Come and see me. Right. <laughs> just let them try and come down and see what happens when they go down there. But but that's the thing. is like people are gullible. People will fall for things. Mm-hmm. And we see it not just in in real life, like in, in the reality of, you know, people calling your house or, or trying to collect a bill or what have you. But we see that in the paranormal all the time, too. People will believe anything. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And one of the, and, and I, w- I want to kind of get your perspective on this, Melody, because we're a bunch of grizzled old bastards who have been doing this for a long time. You're relatively new to it, mm-hmm. and you're relatively new to putting yourself out there as the leader of a team. Mm-hmm. And we, and we're, can I lump you into the millennial generation? I guess. Will, will you not get upset if I do that? I won't be upset. We don't have the millennial mentality mm-hmm. either. We think all you kids are a bunch of dummies. <laughs> not not you, but you know you know how it is. You know how it is with our generation, and uh, even a couple of generations ahead. In the case of Moni's, 
It was always his dream to be on radio ever since he used to sit in front of it and listen to Little Orphan Annie. <laughs> but as, you know, just looking at the, the way that things are from that, from that lens, from that perspective, I almost feel like the younger people that are in this field are more open to different things than some of us are. And, and part of that is the fact that you know we've been through the ringer quite a bit and we've had to deal with people so like when somebody tells me that they have something going on nine times out of ten i'm going to pass it off to somebody else anyway because i'm just not out there doing investigations but a lot of times i'm kind of like whatever this isn't anything and i suppose you have to kind of have that mentality if you're going to be giving up your free time to go out and research this stuff but also i think i'm just being too dismissive of people and their experiences because i've become kind of set in my ways i'm a crotchety old bastard now when it comes to the paranormal are you getting a lot of being a younger person and are you getting a lot of reports of things that seem overly fantastic or are you getting reports of people who are just kind of like I'm having this go on and I need some help because I think that will always be the undercurrent of what we're researching people who just don't understand what's going on and want some help mm-hmm. but the weird really weird stuff that I used to get 10 years ago I'm not hearing anymore I'm not hearing people talking about seeing things like butterfly people mm-hmm. or I haven't heard a black eyed kid story in a long time you know I haven't heard even puckwudgie sightings uh, you know people will tell me about sightings that they had in the past mm-hmm. that they think were puckwudgies but it's not anything that's kind of current are you getting all kinds of weird stuff or are you just getting like i think there's a ghost in my house um well first off i get contacted by a lot of very strange people so i kind of have to sift through it okay well um, let's let, let, let's just talk about the elephant in the room i'm not talking about <laughs> john even though he's as tall as an elephant <laughs> The elephant in the room, you're a young girl, mm-hmm. and you're putting yourself out there as the leader of this team, mm-hmm. and that might draw some weirdos. Unfortunately, I, yeah. You know, we all have to deal with weirdos in our own way, but you probably get some, some different weirdos than we get. So let's just put that out there. That you yeah. probably do get some of that. Yes. Um, mainly when people approach me with things that are going on that they want me to investigate, a lot of it's like, oh, I have something going on in my house, but no one really believes me that it's happening. But I have had some strange things. Like, I had someone in upstate New York contact me that they believe they're, like, this whole town is infested with demonic entities that are causing people to become alcoholics and, you know, abusive and all these things, and they want me to kind of come up there and figure out what's going on. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I think it's one of those things where you really have to kind of trust your gut when people are telling you what's going on i i'm just extremely open and i'm curious about everything so i mean i give people the benefit of the doubt and i'm willing to kind of research anything that comes my way as long as there's reason behind it see i think that that's i mean first of all it's the way that you should be but i think that we find that over time and you'll find this over time, too, as you connect and network more with people. You kind of have certain people that you pass things off to. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, if I get a puckwudgie report, I always say, well, talk to Chris Balzano because he's the puckwudgie guy. And he's going to be able to tell you better than I can if that might be what you encountered. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moniz, uh, you know, whenever I have anybody that encounters anything that's a UFO, I always say, well, here you go, Moniz. Take this and run with it. And i got to ask you if you heard the story about there was a MUFON report this past week, or, yeah, or recently, yeah. that was in Dartmouth. Yeah. Have you heard anything about that at all? <clears throat> yeah, I was actually talking to a few of my friends from MUFON about that. I've been 
That's kind of also one of the things I've been doing lately is doing a lot of little local UFO stuff, people coming up and contacting me about that. I got a uh, report on Reed Road as as recently as last week about an amber light traveling along the road just above treetop level. This was just after sundown. So, And there's been tons and tons of reports that have come out of Dartmouth over the years. You know my uh, mentor, uh, Maurice, right? Yes. Yeah, he actually saw a craft in 1969 uh, take off out of the water right in front of uh, Round Hill, Hetty uh, Green's place. So I'm just taking a, a quick look at the at the uh, National UFO Reporting Center site, and this sighting that's being referred to it happened uh, on on December 29th. This okay. one, the one that's reported. Not, okay. the, not I'm not yeah. talking about the one that you got. Uh, uh, is this the one over Paid Narum? I'm trying to see if it says it just says off Route Six in Dartmouth. Okay. So here's here's what happened. This it was it was reported as taking place at about eight o'clock at night um, because I'm I'm looking at the occurred. Yeah. The occurred time is December 29th, 20 hours. So that's eight yeah. o'clock, mm-hmm. and then it was reported on the 31st. All right. Well, see, here's where the skeptic in me is kind of like, wait a minute. So this happened on December 29th. Didn't get reported to like the 31st. It took a day for the person to report. December 31st at 5.48 in the morning. So you look at that and you say, okay, this took a little while for them to, to say something, right? Because that's a whole day later. Yeah, but... Is it possible that this person didn't know where to go with the report? Yeah. That they were telling friends? And right. And friends were like, you know, there's a National UFO Reporting Center. Well, what usually winds up happening is 24 hours is actually pretty pretty soon after an event. A lot of times, for most people, they're not used to seeing these things. And for a day to up to a week, they're still trying to mentally process what they've seen because they've been told. Same thing that when we get reports of, you know, ghost stuff. People wait a while before they try and talk to somebody because they're still trying to rationalize it in their mind, and then they finally got to say, like, i got to talk to somebody else. And then after they make that decision, okay, how do I find who to talk to? So finding, you know, MUFON's number or the National Reporting Center or any of the other centers and stuff like that are – it takes some time. So it being, you know, less than 24 hours or within 24 hours is actually pretty soon. Well, the report was, uh, and we only have about four minutes before the news, but uh, this person says they were picking up some takeout food off Route 6 in Dartmouth. Her husband called her attention to this object that had traveled over their heads. The object was large with five glowing white lights shaped like a jacks, sort of five-pointed. So I'm assuming they mean like jacks, like, yeah. you know, toy jacks. Uh, we pulled up to get a bit of a better look, turned around, and it was gone. So that was the sighting that was reported. And five lights in kind of like a jack shape, is that any known aircraft that we know of? The only thing that somebody could potentially say that's shaped like a flying jack is a lot of these uh, drones. That would be what I would think right away. Uh, And, you know, obviously the drones that you and I are buying don't have bright enough lights that we would see them from the ground. Well, ones we can afford. There are others that are shaped like that that are far and, more expensive. And military drones. Yes. Certainly. Uh, and, and are military drones, do they have lights? Yes. All Anything that flies is required to. to have lights by the FAA. Whether or not the military can, when they're up there. Right. The military story. has rules that they can bend as far as, you know, turning their lights off and yeah. things like that. But anything that flies is required to have navigation lights. 
Well, we, I certainly want to get back into this, though, when we come back on the other side, because I think that part of what's lost on this, and I, I kind of wish, because Fun 107 put the story up. Abby put the story up and, and got it up there on the website. But I kind of wish they had been like, hey, Tim, there's a UFO story here, because I could have given them so much more background, because we know about all the different UFO activity that's been reported over Dartmouth over the years. So in case anybody out there that might have saw this, is listening in. We will give you a little bit more insight into the history of UFOs in Dartmouth, and we'll talk some more about some other paranormal topics as well coming up in the next hour. And uh, you can join in the fun again if you want to call in, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. You can also join the chat room on SpookySouthCoast.com and on our YouTube channel and also on our app the Spooky South Coast app for iPhone and Android. And you can also email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, and you can follow us on Twitter, at SpookySC. And then during the show, when the show is live, we talk about things using the hashtag SpookyLive. So if there's anything out there that you want to say on Twitter, you can always just hashtag it SpookyLive. We'll see it pop up in the feed. We can talk about it that way. We try and make sure that we grab questions that show up in the chat room, but sometimes the, the discussion goes off the rails a little bit there and that's fine that's what we love about it uh, we love everybody that joins us in the chat room on saturday night so hi to everybody that's in there i'm waving at the computer like the computer can see me <laughs> like, like dr terry with my shirt off on skype over here uh so we'll get into some more weird stuff coming up uh, in just a bit but again 508-996-0500-877-996-1420 we're not going to be on next saturday night for the zombie prom but we're going to have something pre-recorded I promise. I, I have no excuses now not to put something into the computer for us to have pre-recorded. So we will have something, even if it's just a rebroadcast of an old episode. But there will be something on the air here next Saturday night. And then we'll be back every week live. I recommend Jeff's birthday party. <laughs> I don't know if that can be aired. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think we played it pretty straight on that one. We might not have yeah. sworn, but I can't be totally sure. No, no, we did. The first Backyard Podcast? Forget oh. it. That could never that could never be aired on the radio. Maybe we could put it up on YouTube if we, uh, because we still have photos from that night. With the silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz, and guest John Brightman and Melody Knapp tonight here on the Spooky Crew, we've got uh, we've got a full slate, people all across the table, and uh, we have a lot of topics that we can talk about dealing with the paranormal. We'll also take your calls five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. 1420 If you want to call in as well, and you can join in the discussion in the chat room on SpookySouthCoast.com and on our YouTube channel. And you can also do it on your app as well. If you have a, an Android or an iPhone, you can download it. Matt, what's going to happen with the Google the, the Google phone? That's going to use the Android apps, right? Hold on. I haven't put the mics up yet. I'm so unprofessional. With, with the, hey, you know. I put the, it uh, way too high. The Google Pixel? Uh, yeah, those Google phones. It's, it's, uh, those run Android, right? Yeah, yeah. Android Google. apps? Yep. It'll be the same. Okay. Just uh, you're kind of out of luck if you have a Windows phone. Sorry. Well, are they still making those? Do they... Uh, they do. They do. Okay. They're, and they're, Well, 
I don't know, the expert. I would say you're out of luck if you have a Windows phone. That's true. (laughs) But if you have a Windows phone, you can just use your Windows phone to go to YouTube and watch us there. And, you know, you don't don't have to have the app for that. Windows Play Store has nothing. Well, we have... Android and, and iPhone covered, so mm-hmm. you Those can. Those are the two most important. That's, yeah, that's all that matters. Google and Apple is like. Where and we should at. have an update soon. An update. An update, maybe. Well, well, do we want to give away any secrets of what could be coming in the update? Uh, a back, a back button. <laughs> <laughs> do you for, understand for how iPhone. important that is? <laughs> well, Android, like we have a back button. Right, already. you can just hit the back button because we have regular yeah. normal phones. We know right what we're, yeah. We'll, just hit the back button. Although I don't, I don't, I don't want to ruin this for you. Yep. I know it's one button. It's going to be one button. They're getting rid of all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I can't deal. The the S8 stuff is is not not making me happy. Getting rid of the headphone jack, getting rid of that. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Trying to be like iPhone. Yep. Oh. iPhone's already done it. So what's going to happen to us stupid people that don't know how to use phones correctly (laughs) and on, you know, savvy attack? People said that when they... Like going from the Nokia to a Blackberry, you're talk, you know. You're talking to somebody that <laughs> Stephanie just got to start using Twitter. Okay, I never used Twitter. I didn't even have like a business fan page set up, and Stephanie finally got me to do that. So I'm a little behind in the times here. It's all right. You'll you'll catch up. You know, getting getting that's, get that's a good opportunity my to favorite. give out your Twitter handle. Yes. What is your Twitter handle? Let everybody know. Uh, He's like bright, I don't bright know. star promo. All right. App Makes more than phone calls now. B-R-I-T-E. Holy crap. <laughs> Moni's upgraded his flip phone. I, I, I actually thought he was going to pull a pigeon out of his... Uh... <laughs> hey, I still use smoke signals at home. So so now that you have that, you can actually use apps. Because that's not the work. That's a personal phone. That is correct. All right. So now when people... Because God love her. Christina, she's a big fan, a big supporter, a good friend. And whenever she tweets out anything about the show, she always includes your Twitter. And I want to tell her, like, he's got no idea. He doesn't even know how to use Twitter. I have a Twitter. You do. You have a Twitter. <laughs> so now you're going to have to use Actually, it. Actually, I didn't. You guys set up, I guess, the Twitter and Twitter. Tweeted for me? Before you, you, before you leave, we will actually make sure that you are signed into that Twitter, and you can tweet things. And you can just mess around with it. Oh, fine. Give me a responsibility. Thanks. But, hey, people want to talk to you, man. Spooky South Coast listeners want to interact with you. You keep your Facebook personal, which is your right to do so. We made you a, a public page for your Facebook, but you don't use it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not really a social media person. But you're in a position where people want to be social with you. So you have to be able to interact. Uh, I'm tired of people sending me things to me like, ask Moniz what he thinks about it. No, you ask Moniz what he thinks about it. <laughs> I don't even have time to talk to Moniz about important things. Well, not that what yes. listeners are asking for isn't important, but you know what I mean. Like, he, he called me yesterday. And I was like, I'm sorry, I can't take the call. I'm at work. And it's it's crazy when, when I'm working, so it's hectic. I'm like, I can text, you know, like that's... Yeah, your schedule is kind of random. Well, no, now that I'm here all the time, it's like i got to do news every half an hour. Uh, so it's like it takes five minutes to do the news, and then that leaves me 25 minutes to build the next newscast. And i got to go in and find, like, all all the stuff that's gotcha. going on, make phone calls. It's, it's, it's pretty hectic. Um, so don't don't think that I'm rude if I if I don't answer your calls uh, in the afternoons. But I do want to say, uh, getting back to the topic about UFO sightings here, before we get into the meat and potatoes of talking about UFO sightings in this area, Moniz, to take a step back and talk about Bigfoot, yep. you're actually collecting some reports which your social media can help you with. 
<laughs> because let me let me tell you, let me just tell you what, what's happening here. You put out on your Facebook that you are looking for Bigfoot sighting reports. However, your Facebook is on lockdown. Yeah, you're very selective about who you let onto it, so you're not well, reaching I never a wide enough audience. Requests, uh, if and at least for my personal page, it, usually to get on my list of my personal page, yeah, you have to walk up to me physically, personally, tell me you're putting in a request, and then I'll you you. You're obviously going to be the first person up at the, on the top of the list. Which is they, why you're not connecting with anybody from your past, which is probably how you prefer I it. have relatives I have probably have in the list that I haven't even, you know, looked at. But so you're, you're, you're basically, you're calling out to a very limited audience of looking for these reports. By using Twitter and your f- public Facebook page, you would be able to reach more folks and, and be able to have a greater reach to try to collect these stories. But now you've got the airwaves here, so let people know what it is that you're doing. All right. I was uh, approached by people from uh, Animal Planet to collect local Bigfoot reports in the Bridgewater Triangle area for the television show Finding Bigfoot. They are going to be coming to the state in late summer, but they want some advanced reports so that they can use as, you know, teasers for the uh, episode in the state. So let's add that to the list of TV that's interested in the Bridgewater Triangle. <laughs> because God knows. Who isn't at this right. point? There's tons of it going on right now. Uh, so let's add that into there. Now, I also want to throw out a mention, too, as well, that Amy Bruni and Adam Berry are looking for local hauntings in the Massachusetts, New England area, that if you feel like uh, there's a loved one who's trying to reach out to you, or if you feel like whatever it is that you're dealing with is something that you can't handle, uh, they are looking for some cases here as well. So you can reach out to them. I have two. Well, let's make sure that we get it on their on their plate because they're still collecting stories. Uh, and so you can reach out to me if you want to do that, or you can find Amy and Adam directly. They're both very interactive on social media. So if you try to reach out to them that way, they will definitely get back to you. Uh, and Amy has put out her email address as well, but I don't have Facebook open to find the, the link. Um, I will find it on, on Twitter. But uh, you can absolutely 100% reach out to them on Twitter. They will see it. And they're trying to get, you know, they're trying to help help people. It's not just about being able to produce a TV show. So some of these cases that are coming in aren't going to even make it to television, aren't even going to be considered for television. But you will be able to get into the hands of people, get your story into the hands of people that know how to connect you with people that can help you. And I've taken some of these cases that people have said, all right, well, you know, I saw that, you know, they're looking for these cases, they're looking for these stories, but I don't, I need the help, but I don't want to be on television. And so I've been just passing those stories on to other people as well. And I've been finding there's quite a bit of people that I call on for help, but I feel like I've been dumping a lot of things on one particular person as of late. Uh, but, you know, there's there's teams all over that we're connected with that we can help you find somebody. So, so the link, it looks like here, is Amy at Amy Bruni. Oh, Amy at Amy-Bruni.net. That seems uh, exactly right. So there you go. Amy at Amy-Bruni.net. If you want to reach out to her directly or you can pass it on to us and we will pass it on. We certainly have, uh, you know, we've, we've sent plenty of stuff their way over the past and sometimes they send stuff our way and it's a very good working relationship. So we can hook it up if you think that you need help. But also, 
um, Katrina Weidman has also been posting that she does something separate besides Paranormal Lockdown. She has a team. It's um, Atherton Paranormal. And I've seen on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook even, she's been saying that they're looking for cases if you, you, gotta, you need, talk to your microphone if you need help. We'll, we'll get you. By the end of the night, you're going to be a season <laughs> yes. pro. So Katrina Weidman has also been saying that her team um, with two other people, Atherton Paranormal, is booking cases for residential and things like that. that so I'll tell you another trick, too. It actually works on the side, too. So on as long as you, know, if you have to look, it's better to be in the front. Okay. But if you have to look at somebody, you can talk into the side, too. I found that and I can pivot, too. When I'm, when I'm in the news booth now, I do this so I can see oh, the oh, computer oh. screen in front of me. And I'm like, oh, it works like that? You mean I don't have to stand there like this? Because, mm-hmm. I, you know, I might have issues That's with, a good that, idea. with that position. I think I just figured out how to do this. There you go. There see, we go. Now I can I, see you all and speak clearly. So there. See, I told you by the end of the night, season wow. pro. Uh, but getting back to these UFO stories in this area. Uh, I posted on, you know, they threw that story up on fun107.com, and they put it up on the Facebook page. And I went underneath it, and I commented that there's actually been quite a long history in this area. Now, Moniz, you've been researching UFOs around, and not even just to go all the way back to the historical, which we will, but even just in the time that you've been collecting stories over the past 30 years or so, there's been a ton of UFO sightings in the Dartmouth area. Hundreds, literally hundreds. I remember collecting uh Dozens and dozens of reports over SMU, which is now UMass Dartmouth back in the 80s, so it was known as SMU, uh, Southeastern Massachusetts University. And you would get reports at least every three weeks, something being seen going in various directions. Very, But now what made those interesting was they weren't just like single witness. You know, of course, the college campus, you have tons of people outside and when you got five group of five or six all seeing the same thing as they're getting into their cars to take off for the night and whatever or arriving you got to take that seriously yeah i saw this round craft with these colored lights at this height and you know and yeah i saw this same thing and they all would talk about very identifiable details that it's not misconstrued stars because they put it in a specific size at a specific location in relation to you know the height of the trees and this and that so you got to take it seriously you know? well i mean obviously anybody who knows the area you know that the dartmouth area is in the flight path of the new bedford airport but correct the new bedford airport doesn't operate 24 hours a day no there's there's quite a bit of time when it's not operating and when nothing's landing there I had one UFO sighting in my life that I can guarantee you was not a plane. You know, I've seen weird stuff yeah. in the sky that I usually have been like, yeah, it's probably a plane. Like, for example, last night I was driving home from work, and I saw about 11.30 last night, driving, over, driving down Route 25, and I look out, and I can say, well, actually, I saw it all the way back on 195. So, you know, I'm driving down the road, and I see, and it's... Red, blue, red, blue, red, blue lights, but kind of going like a little bit of a circle. And then I get on to 25, and I see it, another one back there doing the same thing, you know, kind of like in a circle. And I figured out pretty quickly, it's probably just a couple of helicopters. Yeah. And they're probably using infrared, you know, like searching for something. So I'm like, okay, no problem. Uh, but the one time that I was able to not talk myself out of what I saw... And I've, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again very quickly. Driving home from an event at Lizzie Borden's, 
about 3.30 in the morning, 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning, driving down 195, looking out over New Bedford. And I see this weird light in the sky. And I'm, well... It's probably a plane because that's the flight path of the airport. I'm not mistaken. You gave me a phone call while driving I along. Might, I very might have. Yeah. So in, I'm, it's at 3 o'clock in the morning, it's not a plane. So it's got my attention, and I'm watching, and I'm seeing, and it goes, zip, zip, zoom, and takes off. It literally zips from, like, one point to another uh, and then goes again and then just takes off out of sight. Faster than I've ever seen anything go. Like horizontally? Um, kind of. It was diagonally. It was kind of, likely. yeah, it was more like diagonally. And then it just flew off, and it flew off in the direction of a Kushnet and, and toward the Cape. So that's the direction that I'm traveling in. And I never saw it again for the rest of the way. And you know I'm looking, even though I'm trying to keep an eye on the road. But I'm also looking, and I never saw it again. And that's the only time that I've ever seen anything that I'm like, I think that was definitely. I, and identified. It's certainly not something that I'm going to find. And I didn't report it. I told you, yeah. but I didn't really follow up on it after that to see if anybody else had seen it. But there's a long history of things like that in this area. And to take a step back, for those who aren't familiar with the South Coast, if you bought my book, Ghosts of the South Coast, this is actually mentioned in the book, but not everybody's read it. The Round Hill area of Dartmouth. Now, if you go to Dartmouth... You, you, you folks aren't from around here, but you're from close to here, close. John. So, you know, you've probably been to Dartmouth tons of times. Yep. And when you go, you usually go down Route 6 and you see the mall, or you might go to UMass Dartmouth or all these different areas in there. Have you ever been to the Paid Narum section? Uh, of, I know exactly where Paid Narum is. So you know when you're down in that area. Think of like a seaside village. Yep. And that's what Paid Narum is. They have a nice little bridge that goes over the bay, a little uh, band area where they have you know different uh, civic events. And it's just a beautiful Lots place. Lots of little sailboats sitting out in the harbor. And it's, you know, it's, it's money. Yeah. Yes. And when you get into... A little bit further out, the Round Hill area. Are you familiar with the Round Hill area? Have you ever been out there? No, I don't think The Heady Green Estate, that big... Oh, okay. So right before the bridge, you go right, and that goes yep, up. Yep, and you go all the way yes. down. And yeah, if you were coming from your direction, yep. you would go right. Yep. And so there's this big mansion. Yes, at the end. A little bit of history. Back in the turn of the century... Look, the late 1800s and into the early 1900s, I believe, if I have my timeline right, Hetty Green was known as the Witch of Wall Street. She was the first really successful female investor. And she was very shrewd, and she amassed quite a bit of money. She was also pretty generous with her money around here. Uh, the Fairhaven Library, the Millicent Library in Fairhaven, which is haunted, even though they deny it, mm-hmm. actually has Hetty Green's hat. In the basement, but they won't. They, they claim they don't know where it is, and they won't let me take it out and mess with it. But anyway, so when she passed away, her son, who I can't think of his first Green. name, but well, obviously, but I can't think of his first name. Thomas. I I'm I'm not totally sure. I, I, I could look it up, but I, I don't want to get off telling the story. So he called himself a colonel. He dubbed himself Colonel Green. He had no military rank, but he was a little off, and he called himself Colonel Green. And he took over this great mansion at Round Hill, which still stands today. Now it's been turned into luxury, like condos. They've kind of divided the mansion up into smaller places. But it's still the same building that that they had built, that he actually had built uh, with her fortune. So there's this big house there. Also said to have been haunted. Right. And this whole area was already haunted even before they moved in there because there was some Native American stuff that went on on that site. So he builds this big mansion and moves in 
and lives like a weirdo. The Charles W. Morgan, which I think some people have probably gone to Mystic, Connecticut, Mm -hmm. to Mystic Seaport, gone on this great, the last great whaling ship, the Charles W. Morgan. They've done a fantastic job restoring it. Also haunted. Has a lot of activity on it. The Charles W. Morgan sat, stranded on the land at Round Hill for years. That's where they rescued it from and brought it to... to, uh, mystic to rehab to rehabilitate it it was just sitting there languishing for years because the green family owned the ship and they just left it there so that ghost was also there on that property well colonel green being a bit of a weirdo being a bit of an eccentric gets really involved in some of the different scientific experimentation that's been going on around that time the early 20th century so he allows mit to come down and build the giant radio telescope. There used to be a telescope down there, a, a tele, a, an antenna that they called the Martini Glass, a telescopic antenna that they called the Martini Glass. It's since been destroyed by the people who purchased the land. But I'm sure you'd been down there and seen pictures of it, this yep. big, they called it the Martini Glass because that's what it looked like. Big parabolic antenna. And that was actually out there because originally Colonel Green had the first radio station in the area and they broadcast out of round hill so that's why they knew that this was the place to go and build this big antenna for the different types of experiments they were doing in telecommunications so they build this down there now this area had already had a ton of ufo reports over the years anyway going back to the colonial times they put this thing out there and all of a sudden ufos are showing up on a regular basis like you might call it a flat, Moniz, yeah. when you have all these sightings that are coming all the time. But this was something that was just a steady stream of sightings. And then what happened beyond that is, have you ever been to the Museum of Science in Boston? Mm-hmm. They have that big electrical show with the giant Van de Graaff generators. Yes. Those used to be at Round Hill. Those were built at Round Hill and then moved to the Museum of Science. So they used to have those down there conducting electrical experiments down there as well. So now you've got all this stuff going on. Just imagine what kind of signals are being sent out to these beings from somewhere else that are zoning in on this area. So I've always been fascinated with Round Hill and and what might have actually been going on there because I almost think that if you look at the story and if you look at the eccentricity of Colonel Green, maybe he was on to something. Maybe he was in communication with something. And that's why we had all these sightings there over the years. Now, Try and go knock on the door at Round Hill and ask if you can come in and look around. Forget it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't even... If you drive by, you have to make a certain amount of money just to look out the window. <laughs> so it's not like you can just get down. They did... They were selling one of the big properties down there a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's well, still on the market. Over a million, probably. Oh, yeah. Oh. It's, it's the most expensive home on the south Is, is that the one you see on Facebook every once in a while? Think, it's a yeah, big white one. Around, yeah. That, yeah. So... You know, maybe one of our listeners wants to go and buy that and say, hey, come on out here and conduct some experiments yourselves. But other than that, I think we're kind of going to be shut out of that neighborhood. Tim, you could fit right in there. Someday. (laughs) Maybe someday. I would never fit in in a place like that, but at least I could afford my way in someday. Uh, But the that area has a long history and it's not it's it's almost like we talk about the Bridgewater Triangle and all the weird things that happen in the Bridgewater Triangle. A lot of that weird stuff has happened just in this one little area, just in this one little couple square miles, like little peninsula that's out there. So it's it's fascinating to me. Every time there's a report that happens in the Dartmouth, New Bedford area, it's just one more thing to chalk up to 
all of the stuff that's been going on there over the years. And it, and it kind of flies under the radar. It does. Obviously, Moniz, you know about it, and I'm sure Maurice knows about it. But it's something that when you know people are putting out books about UFO sightings in America or UFOs in New England, they don't really pick up on that because people don't talk about it anymore. But it's out there. You can find it. If you go back and look, people were talking about it then. There were stories in the newspapers about it. Well, it's kind of the same situation with the Bridgewater Triangle itself. I mean, uh, until Warren Coleman posted it and wrote about it, nobody really knew about it. So it kind of, until people start talking about it and hearing about it, they're not going to know. And people from outside the area might not either until somebody like yourself or somebody local writes about it and it actually gets the potential listener and reader that it should. One of the things that um, fascinates me about this is, uh, Moni, you probably remember this, years ago we're doing an event at Lizzie Borden's. It wasn't our event, somebody else's event, and there was a bunch of people from New Hampshire there. Yes, I I recall you're talking like in the first year or two. Yeah, very early on in the show, and uh, I'm trying to think of, I want to give proper credit to the group that did it, but I can't think of their name. But they were out of New Hampshire, yep. and they came down, and one of their members was a geologist, or an amateur geologist. Yep. And he had the U.S. geologist. His name was Mike? I think so. Yeah. And there was a woman on the team yep. that I can't remember her name. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm just totally blanking. I feel bad. <laughs> Carrie was her name. Okay. Uh, so... This team comes down, and one of the members, I don't know if he was an actual geologist or it was just a hobby, but he had the U.S. Geological Survey map of the entire South Coast area. And there's certain shadings on this map for certain types of stone that have been discovered. And the entire South Coast was just covered in whatever the color was for quartz. So this whole area is rich in quartz because of all the, yeah. we, got, we have fieldstone everywhere, mm-hmm. we have granite and all of the stuff that we have. So basically we have a giant conductor of electricity, a giant recorder of electricity. So it's not surprising then that these beings are, are still coming here, even if they're not conducting those experiments that were going on for all that time. The environment here probably kind of recorded some of that energy and is still holding it in. So it's still drawing these things in as a beacon. Or you could look at it as it's conducive to their technology. It 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 doesn't hurt their technology or whatever it is that's being used. Do you feel though that if does that have an impact though? I mean, this is a, we're, we're looking at a chicken and egg scenario, a chicken and egg question here. But does that have an impact if? Something is being done. So let's just say these experiments are being done that draw in the UFOs. That and we'll we don't even have to explain what we think a UFO is. We don't even have to explain. Uh, Moniz and I fight about this all the time. <laughs> Moniz is like, well, it's something coming from another planet, and I'm like, it's something coming from our own imaginations. Like we'll go back and forth on this. But whatever a UFO is, if these experiments are drawing those in, is that also ripping things open enough that all these other types of paranormal phenomena take place. We know know that the Bridgewater Triangle has some sort of power unto itself that makes all these things happen. But if you find a way to draw one, can you draw another? If you pull in paranormal activity, ghostly activity, uh, you pull in ghostly responses, is it kind of 
par for the course and that something else might show up as well. I don't see why not. I mean, we know that layering certain materials will generate a, a low electrical field. I'll give you a good example. The um, the mound in uh, southern England, uh, known as Silbury Hill, that that produces a uh, one volt DC current just because of its construction, the way it's layered in the materials. And we have some of that same kind of principle working where we are with the various la layers of uh, quartz and other materials. And then with the, with the water going through it, which water is also a great conductor, so we have a, a pretty good electromagnetic field being generated in this area just naturally from the geology. Perfect storm. I mean, look, but looking at other reports, I think it's possible that... Uh, like, I almost feel like if we can figure out how to pull one in, we will figure out how to pull in others. You know, maybe not exactly to the point where we can pinpoint it, but is it going to surprise you if you are constantly going to a place that you know? Lizzie Borden's house, for example. We go there all the time. We know the place is haunted. You go there all the time. You start having these interactions. You start having these experiences. How weird is it going to be if all of a sudden one night you're leaving and a UFO flies by? Or one night you... You know, you're you already had that experience. I know, but I'm saying that. And, <laughs> right. Like, how, how do you know? Like, if you go to Lizzie Borden's house, is it going to be weird if, when you're getting in your car, all of a sudden Bigfoot walks across the street? You know, like in Fall River. That well, that may still not be out of the realms of possibility, but I, yeah, I'd still have to. I'd have to get up there and get really close and see exactly who it is, because there's there's some people that might be mistaken for Bigfoot out there. Mm -hmm. uh, let's take a phone call. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hi, host. You're a lot of fun and very articulate. Thank you. I called once before because I slept in uh, Lizzie Borden's Maplecroft bedroom as my sister and her husband bought that place. The new owners. Well, I don't know what's happened for years because my sister divorced the, the husband. Okay, so we're talking back in the, yes, in the, in the doobie, not, in the doobie days. I was mentioning that as a, you know... Yes, no, uh, no. Okay, no problem. Just a previous connection with you. I was supposed to see if her ghost was in that room because a little girl, my niece, saw some sort of vision of an older woman in that room. They kept empty. They kept it empty. Um, and supposedly the room was pretty much preserved from when Lizzie was there. But I slept in that bed. And I didn't see anything, but but um, so I find you so interesting. The Colonel Green thing was an excellent explanation. I appreciated that. I happen to be living in one of the Hetty Green's safe houses in New Bedford. Oh, really? It's nothing because you know she was trying to prove she was poor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, I yeah. Know. Um, but uh, the more interesting thing, uh, and I have a question at the end regarding other ghosts but the more interesting thing is i wanted to tell you that when i was a boy in the early 60s uh a ufo sighting took place uh above route 88 to horseneck beach mm -hmm. you familiar yep. with that area yep okay and uh, what had happened is a westport police sergeant uh was on night duty with a colleague in a cruiser uh, going down, uh, headed, uh, I guess you would say, north on ADA, and a uh, UFO hovered 
above the roadside about eh, 2 or 3 p.m., uh, excuse me, a.m. at night, and uh, was there for about 5 to 10 minutes, uh, flying in the same direction they were headed at cruise speed and freaking them both out. So what happened is they these two policemen of Westport um, did not want to ruin their careers or reputations uh, by even reporting it. Right, unfortunately that's the way you have So what happened is when the sergeant retired uh, about 10 years later, uh, he revealed what happened, and he he had gotten his pension and moved, I believe, to Oregon. I believe so. I know his first name was William, and this was in a newspaper article. It was either in the Fall River Herald about the late 60s. The event occurred in the early 60s, and uh, he was definitely um, terrified that if he had come forward uh, to say what he saw on Route 88, uh, he would be the victim of scorn and, you know, laughed out of the department and his career, etc. But he did feel, after he was safe with his pension in Oregon, I believe, he did feel it was his duty um, to contact a reporter and tell uh, them uh, what had occurred. And I read the article, and uh, I was living out on Hicks Bridge Road at that point. I'm mainly a Dartmouth person. But uh, it was just amazing to hear the account and description. You could probably access it. It's sad the Standard Times, if it was in that one, sad they destroyed their archives. Well, I mean, the, the library still has some, though, so. Uh, well, if it was in the Fall River Herald, maybe you'd have better luck searching the 60s. But I think that is a story that should go noted uh, because that officer was not in the least frivolous about the entire affair. I mean, I recently I uh, spoke in in, uh, in October. I spoke in Westport at the Masonic Lodge down there, uh -huh. which is like located right by that big vineyard. And I'm not somebody that's gone to Westport quite often. I, I you know, usually if I do, it's uh, my experience is limited to Route Six. But I was just telling a friend of mine who's from Westport that place just has a feel to it, and it, it has a, an atmosphere around it that when you're driving through there at night, you look at the sky. Because if anything, if you're ever going to see anything weird in the sky, that's the place. Now, you or your guests are familiar with a lot of these things. I'm not. I just had these connections, and I like your show when I do turn in, and uh, you guys are very entertaining and articulate, too. But let me ask you this uh, last question. Do uh, your, your fellow hosts or you um, expect or know anything about ghosts that might be in the area that was kind of our Barbary Coast uh, that was torn down, Route 18, that had many historic buildings, bars, brothels, gambling houses, etc., that served, you know, the early whalers and probably some pirates, too. And, of course, that was all gone with uh, Route 18 destroying it. But if you're talking about ghosts, wouldn't you think there'd be uh, possibly some, you know, signals from that area? Or does... Uh, Urban renewal and complete destruction of an area, you know, forego any possible ghost residues. De definitely not. Uh, no matter what happens to the physical structures, the the spirits that are there can still remain. Do you think there are any, or, or 
you can contact any down at the I, wharf? I can give you some noted places in that area that have activity. Ah. Uh, probably the, the, the biggest, first and foremost, and I can't speak to the activity there, but a, a friend of ours could, Frank Grace, the Orpheum Theater. Uh, when they were in the process of trying to refurbish the Orpheum, uh, they had a whole organization that was dedicated to bringing it back to life. And part of that was going to include, Frank was trying to set it up for us to be able to go in there and do an investigation because so much stuff had been going on there. So that was one of the real hot spots of the area. If you and now, do you have a book or a video out on uh, the ghost? Well, well actually, I'm more interested now in the UFO in the area. Do you have a... a... There's, there's probably not a good UFO title for this area mm. in particular. Um, there's some uh, UFOs of New England that might have some mentions around here, but nothing really in this area. For ghosts in this area, I know a guy that wrote a book called, called Ghosts of the South Coast. Mm. Uh, but that's that's my book that you can find at Barnes and & Noble and, and other bookstores that really kind of covers the weird What's history of the ghosts. It's called Ghosts of the South Coast. Well, I'll look for it. And may I say all your hosts are enjoyable, and you are particularly uh, a breath of fresh air with your... Uh, humorous or semi-humorous news reports. Thank you very much. <laughs> Keep up the good work, gang. Thank you. Have a good night. Bye. And, uh, and and I do, you know, I try to put a little levity in the news, so you can tune in weekdays, noon to 8. Uh, but going back to that area, that Route 18 area, uh, so basically if you are, if you're not familiar with the South Coast, if you're listening, because I know we have people listening all over the world, if you look at a map of this area, and you see New Bedford being right on the harbor. You know, that whole line of New Bedford on the harbor, like Route 18 follows that now, all the way to the south end. And at the south end of New Bedford, that's where Fort Tabor is. Fort Rodman, actually. But the Fort Tabor, Fort, Tabor, Fort Rodman State Park is right there. And that's where we've gone there numerous times and investigated and had experiences. And every I think everybody except Melody has, here has had some something weird happen there. Mm-hmm. And going all around that coast, so right after Fort Tabor, you know, there's, uh, I can't remember the name of the business. I think they're closing down. But they they go out and they, when, when they clean out places that are getting shut down and they keep it all up in their warehouse, uh, you know, it's a salvage company, but I can't remember the actual name of the salvage company. They have... A floor where they just keep all the stuff, very haunted. Now, it's probably not the building. It's probably all these items that they're bringing in from other places. But I've gotten reports from people that work there, the owner, talking about... On Brock Avenue? Um, I don't know. I don't think it's on Brock. I think it's... What's what's Rodney... What's the Rodney French East that... Rodney French. Whatever, Rod- yeah, West Rodney Whichever French. Rodney French goes up against yeah. the water and, yeah. and, on, on, and leads... Well, they both do. Uh, how do I explain it? Well, the one that goes by talk- Davy's Locker. I know where you're talking. So anyway, so that whole area. Uh, and then the Orpheum as you're coming back down 18, coming more toward Fairhaven. The, and as you go through there, that's when you're in historic downtown New Bedford, which is basically Moby Dick. Yeah. And the Siemens Bethel, which is in Moby Dick, is there. That's haunted. I work at the Standard Times. That building is Weird. They have weird things going on. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's haunted. I've never really checked it out and investigated it, but that whole area, there's stuff that goes on. I hear, because a younger generation has moved into downtown New Bedford now. It's it's a 
place where there's a lot of hipster businesses. And so people of a younger generation are a little bit more willing to talk about this stuff. And they're saying that there's a lot of things going on down there in some of these old buildings, especially the people who live in lofts over some of these businesses. You know, there's stuff going on. And it's almost like you can kind of trace a whole path all the way up that Route 18 area of hauntings. And then you get to, you know, the, the, the Accursion Avenue, the Ashley Boulevard area, and, like, you hit a brick wall. And why do you hit a brick wall there? My theory is that because once you get in there, you're getting into a lot of the heart of the Portuguese culture. They don't talk about it. Yeah. They won't share the stories. They don't talk about the ghosts. So I think that that's kind of, you know, the, the dividing line of where you can get some of these reports from. And it's, it's interesting that there's geographical factors, there's geophysical factors, there's sociological factors. A lot of this stuff kind of plays in, and you're peeling back layers. So on the surface... We come in here every Saturday night, and we're talking about weird stuff that happens. And we're talking about weird things that people might or might not believe. But we're also telling stories, and we're talking about things that do have an impact, that do have layers to them, and are kind of reflective of society. like we talk about maybe a town that has a lot of paranormal activity, or we talk about uh, a particular location that has a lot of activity, but you just can't take it on the surface of, okay, well, two people were killed here, so obviously it's haunted. There's so much more than that, and it goes into so much more than that. And that's what I think we've always tried to do here, looking back, kind of reflecting on 11 years of this. We've never really just talked about things at face value. We've tried to go into the deeper and the more and the why. So that's why I think this area is perfect to have a show like ours because this area is so rich in this stuff. You know, I think that's why we have the audience that we do. I think people, and it always happens every year, you know, we can do shows about anything. And with the exception of Amityville, I said it, everything's going to go haywire. <laughs> with the ex- has. Yeah, that's true. I already Amityville'd up this whole show from the beginning. <laughs> but with the, exce- with the exception of Amityville, I don't think there's any topic that we cover on the show that is nearly as popular as the show is when we talk about local things. You know, for some reason, people in other countries want to hear about South Coast ghost stories and South Coast paranormal things. Well, I I think a lot of that has to do with how old the area is, too. People are so intrigued by what else could have happened in that area because of how old it is. So I I wonder if that's truly got something to do with it. And we're also not oversaturated. Because one of the things that I think has been key to the way that the paranormal has developed around here is, what have you noticed? We've had very few paranormal TV shows come here. You know, there was just an article in the paper the other the other day, last Sunday, about the New Bedford Armory, because the city is trying to figure out what to do with the armory and, and what exactly should go on. And they went back and talked, you know, I, I hooked up the writer with Jason Hawes, and so they talked about that. You know, so here we are going back to 2006, talking about the investigation of the New Bedford Armory. And then it took until... There was another episode where they did a private case in New Bedford, Mm. uh, maybe like a year or two after that. But then it took all the way until the final season before they came back and did Fort Tabor, Fort Rodman. So it wasn't like this area has been focused on on a lot of paranormal television shows. And and really, other than that, in this area, the only other thing that's really truly been done is the Lizzie Borden. Right. And that's that's it. Done pretty much by everybody. By everybody. Mm -hmm. But other than that, that's the only thing that's been done. And what's funny is not to not to to you know tell tales out of school, but when I was working on Ghost Asylum, 
I was pushing for them to come and, and come to this area, and they wanted to come to this area. It didn't work out because of scheduling, because they the window they had to film would have been wintertime here, and they didn't want to come in November and risk running into production delays and everything with weather. But that's the only bite that I'd really gotten from anybody about coming here and, and spending time in multiple locations around here. You know, like, we, we've been talking about some different projects that might yep. be coming down the pike, but still, it's not the same thing. It's still not focusing on these ghost stories around here that, you know, I, I think deserve some recognition. So I think the fact that they haven't been oversaturated on TV also makes people a little bit more intrigued about them. It, it'll be interesting if something ever does happen where they strictly focus on the South Coast or even the Southern New England area, you know, from Newport, Rhode Island, up to Boston, maybe that area, down along the coast. It'll be interesting. And, and, and Cape Cod gets overlooked quite a bit. Yep. Uh, you know, Sam's putting together the Provincetown, uh, Provincetown Paracon. That is an area that, you know, Derek Bartlett and his Capers team have been out there for years Many researching years. stuff, <laughs> but it doesn't really get a lot of attention. You know, it doesn't get a lot of... The TV shows aren't coming and knocking down their door, and it's it's one of those things where you know you might watch Chronicle in October. They might have like you know ghosts of the of Cape Cod, but other than that, it doesn't really get a lot of play. And it's sad because the stories are out there, and the stories are great American legends. They got some great historical locations down there that supposedly are haunted lighthouses, old schoolhouses. It's just surprising that nobody's gone down there. The Inner Duck Creek out in Wellsley. Uh, which, which I think did make Ghost Hunters. It may have. Uh, and, well, Andrew I, Lakin and I know a place in Provincetown did. Uh, we we did a couple of investigations down there. Had some really interesting stuff happen in that. So, yeah, Cape has lots of good stuff. So, I don't know. We're kind of spoiled in a way that it hasn't been, been ruined by, you know, everybody putting their eyes on it. Uh, but at the same time. Anybody that listens to the show knows that we're big supporters of these places and big supporters of, of keeping history going, and this is the way to do it because you can't you can't make a living anymore off you know summertime tours. You can't make a living anymore and keep these places open by school kids coming on field trips. It's funny, Jim in the chat room just said, "What about Ghost of the South Coast, like Ghost of Shepherdstown?" That would be awesome because there's so much history here. It, it, it could be, and, and we've had those discussions. We've talked about tours. We've talked about TV shows. You know, there, there's different things that have been going on, and it's it's possible. The problem is the biggest problem that we have here is that we don't have enough of the people that are willing to come out and, and talk mm-hmm. and share these things. So it's, it's a fight. It's a fight to get people to call. How many times have we come on the air? 483, right, tonight? And we've probably, in the in that time, I know people are listening. They say they're listening. They call in when we have a psychic. They're in the chat room. If we have a psychic on the mm-hmm. air and we're giving away free readings, the phones are lit up the entire night from local numbers, local people. But when we say, just call in and tell us your ghost story, the phone lines go dead. We've probably gotten maybe 10 or 15 local ghost stories from callers and all the time that we've done the show, it's, which is a good thing that we didn't decide to make that the entire show, Matt, which was what we originally <laughs> talked about. We wouldn't have lasted 11 weeks, let alone 11 years. It's funny because just earlier tonight I was talking to Stephanie and Melanie about this. I had a call come in to my personal phone about a case here in New Bedford, and the first thing they said, they, besides asking if we do investigate, was 
I really don't tell this to anybody, and I'd rather keep it very, very private so people don't know and think I'm crazy. And that's still the mindset and the mentality around here. But we'll still be here every Saturday night to talk about it. Well, not next Saturday night, because we'll be at the zombie prom, and you all should be too. Come on out, celebrate with us, raise some money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. $25 if you want to get in at the door. $20 if you buy your tickets now by going to ghostvillage.com. It's happening at Jalapenos in uh, Bellingham, so you can you know, go there, have some fun, and it's only like a 40-minute drive back to the South Coast. And uh, so we hope to see you all there. Well, you, you probably might not see us. You know, We're all going to be wearing zombie makeup, but we'll be there. And, uh, and you can come out and hang out, and it's all for a good cause. So get your tickets now, and make sure that you show up there next Saturday night, and then we'll be back every Saturday night after that in some form or another, uh, all the way until the, you know, the Red Sox keep kicking us off. But we'll, we'll get to that bridge. We'll cross every bridge when we get to it. Uh, we are just about out of time tonight. I want to thank John and, and Melody for coming in. Melody, it was great having you do the news live and in person. Thank you. I agree. And I do want to say something. In about 10 before. seconds. Okay. We need to start sharing our ghost stories more, and I am a big advocate for just being honest with what's going on and just get it out there. Don't fear. People are going to judge you. It does not matter. Get your stories out there. You can make fun of me for so much more than just my ghost stories. Exactly. There's, I give you plenty of, <laughs> plenty of material to work with. All right, so that does it for this week's show. For Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, for Chris, for John, for Melody, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooktacular, and we want you all to come out next week to the zombie prom. Have a great week, everybody. <laughs>